will be from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 to 17. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 1843. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 17. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the, word, in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This is the word of the Lord. Paul's writing this letter to a people who are afraid that God has abandoned them. If you were to read the chapter before uh, what we just read this morning, if you were to go back into that chapter, you hear that there is a, a rumor that has come among the church. In fact, some people said, this is what the apostles are teaching. They're teaching that the day of the Lord has already happened, that God's already come back. And you can feel the sense of fear, the sense of hopelessness settling in to the people of God in Thessalonica. And they were young in their faith and they had heard the stories that one day Christ who has ascended will come back to take them home with them. And just as their faith was starting to grow, they get this word. Someone coming in among them, we don't know who it was, but someone coming in among them and, and teaching that, that Christ had already returned and they had missed it. We sometimes think that the Left Behind book series is a new invention. It was already way back then. They had this fear that they had been left out of God's kingdom, that everything that they had suddenly hoped for was gone. I don't think many of us live with that fear today that God has somehow come back already and we've been left here on our own. I think we're more likely to live with a different type of fear. It's been almost 2,000 years since he ascended. Is he ever coming back? Did he forget about us? Hey God, are you sleeping? Do you see what's going on in the world around us? We kind of need you down here. Most of us, I think, live in that space. But at the root of it, it is the same thing, whether it's a, a fear that Christ has returned and abandoned us or that Christ might never come back. We have this fear that God is somehow absent that God's love is somehow not as rich and applicable to us as we had hoped it would be, as the gospel makes it sound like it is. And so Paul 
writes this letter, and the Spirit speaks not only to that church in Thessalonica, but to us as well. We're going to focus on on four words this morning. Loved, which comes up a couple times in this passage. First fruits. The word hold fast, it's two in English, but it's one in the Greek. That hold fast. And finally, the word encouragement. Loved. What's your comfort food? It's a cold day. It's good to talk about comfort food, right? What's your comfort food? Go ahead, talk with your neighbor about it if you want. What's your comfort food? How many people said chocolate? All right. We can confess at different times in the service, right? (laughs) I think one of them for me is a nice bowl of chili, a hearty bowl of chili with a fresh loaf of bread next to it and lots of extra butter to slather on it. Oh, I like the spicy. (laughs) One of the other ones is a sandwich. Growing up, I never actually liked sandwiches, and I threw a fit a number of times. You may have heard that a few times, I confess that. I threw lots of fits as a kid. My my parents, I thank God for them dearly. (laughs) But I, I rejected sandwiches for years, wouldn't eat any type of sandwich. And then I started in university, started going, oh, they're not that bad. And then I encountered a restaurant in Michigan called Panera. Anybody eaten at Panera before? And I ate one of their sandwiches, the Frontega. Oh. And and I would dip that Frontega into a chicken noodle soup bowl. And that together was like, ah. Do you know what it is about the Frontega? Even more than the stuff in the sandwich, it's the bread. You get one slice on top and one slice on bottom, and that bread is just such a good bread. And... And what strikes me is we don't actually talk about the bread very often. Normally when we name a sandwich, we talk about what's going on in the middle, right? We talk about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. No one says it's white bread sandwiches with peanut butter and jelly, right? We talk about ham and cheese sandwiches or grilled cheese. We don't talk about the bread. We just talk about what's in the middle. And so often we do that in Scripture as well. We do that when we talk about our faith. We talk about the heart of our faith, that, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, that Christ will come again. We talk about the substance of that faith. But sometimes we miss what this passage does for us, and it, it puts kind of a sandwich of comfort here. It opens with God's love. We are loved by the Lord. Brothers and sisters who are loved by the Lord. And at the end, it comes back to that again in verse 16, and it talks about God who loves us. (laughs) We who are loved by God. That is such a powerful, powerful thing that we we tend to skip over. Think about it for a moment. If, If we are convinced that God has abandoned us, 
what flavor is that going to put in our faith? Sense of hopelessness, isn't it? Doubt, fear. If we feel like God, God just tolerates us, just kind of puts up with us, and, and that's the, the, the sandwich, the bread that holds our faith is a God who's tolerant of us, our faith is going to be flavored with a sense of apathy, indifference. We might just go through the routines. It's just part of life. If we have a sense that God's posture to us is one who's just waiting for us to mess up, man, our faith is going to be flavored by we have to follow all the rules and get it just right and and this sense of perfectionism. If we feel like God's basic posture to us is one of anger and displeasure, what's that going to do to our faith? And have a sense of fear, of wanting nothing to do with God, of running as far away from that type of God as we can get. And Paul, Paul speaking to a people who, who the substance of their faith they've held on to, but but they've come into a place where they believe that God has abandoned them, that God has rejected them, that God has neglected them, and that, that's flavoring everything about their faith. How we view God flavors everything about our faith. What if we take seriously what Paul's doing here? It's like he's, he's seeing their faith and he says, let me swap something out for you a moment. Let me take that fear and that doubt and that sense that God has abandoned you and neglected you or rejected you. Let me take that away and let me put a different type of bread around your faith. Let me remind you that you are loved by God. You are God's beloved This is not just some sense of abstract language. This is actually kind of romantic language. You are beloved by God. You are treasured by God. Let that guide your faith. Let that flavor everything about your faith. When you bite into that gospel message in the meat of the gospel that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again, and you bite into that, recognize that that comes in the package of God's love. It cannot be pulled out from that. And it is a God who deeply loves you. So much so that Paul's address to these people in Thessalonica and the Spirit's address to us is your identity has changed. Brothers and sisters who are loved by God, that's your new identity. Not as a fearful people not an abandoned people, not a rejected people, not a marginalized people, not a group of sinners, not a group of failures, not a group of people who can never get it right. You, your very basic identity is those who are loved by God. The greatest comfort that God gives us is a repeated refrain that comes through Scripture, I am with you. 
says it to Abraham, says it to Moses, says it to David, says it in the Psalms, says it in the prophets, reveals it through Isaiah that that the Messiah who's coming is going to take this name, I am with you. We have a God who actually wants to be with us. And if you read the end of the story, the end of, uh, of Scripture and chapter 21 of Revelation where it's talking about the new heaven and the new earth and we get caught up in that there's going to be no more crying, no more dying, no more mourning, no more pain. And the very next sentence is that God will make his dwelling with us. We have a God who loves us so deeply that he desires to be with us and he is at work making all things new so that he can dwell with us. We, our very identity, is those who are loved by God. And because of that, the greatest comfort that we can offer anybody else is simply to remind them that they are loved by God. So I'm going to invite you to do that right now. I want you to turn to a person next to you and just simply say, you are loved by by God. Better yet, ask them their name first, because you might be sitting next to somebody that you don't know their name. Ask them their name, and then use their name and say, you are loved by God. So for instance, what's your name? Hi, Gloria. Gloria, you are loved by God. That's what we need to do. Please, It may feel kind of cheesy. It may feel kind of weird. We're not accustomed to doing these things. In fact, many of us come from European cultures, not all of us, but European cultures where we tend to restrain our emotions and our affections. And what we're called to do is to imitate God's affection for us in the way we interact with others. And so we may have some getting used to to figure out how to do this and how do we say this without feeling all kind of sheepish and squirmy, and that's okay. Sometimes you take a bite of sandwich and it goes, oh, I don't know about this yet. That's okay. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. First fruits. The love of God in this passage that Paul's writing about, he ends up drawing on this language of first fruits. We're in a good time of year to reflect on first fruits, aren't we? Anybody had a fresh apple or fresh cider yet? Yeah, 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 Dykema boys, yep. It's a good time of year. In fact, this is one of my favorite times of year. I love the fresh apple cider. I don't get why they mull it and put nutmeg in it but I love fresh apple cider. I love the, the smells of the season and the changing of the leaves and the, the cooler temperatures. I really like the cooler temperatures. <laughs> I love this season in the sense of there's so much fruit and there's so much abundance, at least in our part of the world, that we experience during this harvest season. 
the first fruits. Imagine just taking that, that bite, that taste of that first fruit that, that brings you into that season and you go, ah, this is good. First fruits, biblically, has another kind of hold to it. It's not just meant to evoke that sense of a harvest season. It draws us back into a pattern that was, was instituted by God among the Israelites as they were getting ready to enter the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And God, God called them to have an offering of first fruits, in fact, to gather together as God's people when they brought in those first fruits. And those first fruits... Those first fruits were to be an offering. So they'd take the first fruit of the crop and they'd bring it into Jerusalem, those first fruits, and they'd lay it down as an offering. But if you think about that for a moment, that's an incredible act of trust. For a people who didn't have grocery stores, no Fortinos, no no frills, no anything like that that they could run to. They lived off the land and the first bit of the harvest they gave away. In fact, they put it on an altar and watched it burn up. And that was an act on their part to say, God, we thank you because we know that you are the provider. We know that what we are tasting now is just the beginning of what you are going to provide and do for us. We know that what we see in front of us, although our reaction is one of fear and cling to it because we need this food to live on, that you are the provider who cares for us. And what God is saying to these people through Paul is, is you are the first fruits. The kingdom might feel small right now. It might feel insignificant. It might feel like that it's going nowhere. It might feel like the earth is going to hell in a handbasket. Remember, they were living under a Roman military occupation. This was a people who was violent, who had taken over many other peoples. They were living oppressed they were living in a culture that was full of other foreign gods whose idols were worshipped. And if you didn't participate in the temple worship, you didn't have a job. You couldn't sell goods. They were living in a culture that felt antagonistic to them. And in that context, Paul's saying, you're just the first fruits. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. God, who called you to know him, is not going to abandon you. Remember, he loves you. And he's not going to stop until the whole world comes to know him. You are but the first fruits of what is to come. Take hope. In the midst of the despair and uncertainty you feel, take hope because the rest of the harvest is coming. You are those first fruits, those first tastes. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and, and we're going we're to take those little bites, right? We're going to take a bite, and we call it a meal, but I bet most of us go home and have some more food right afterwards, don't we? It doesn't really physically feel up, fill us up, but it is meant to be one of those first fruits, one of those small tastes of the coming kingdom where we're reminded that God's work is not done. In fact, when Paul's writing to the Philippians, one of the other cities that he had planted a church in, he says to them that he is confident that God who is faithful will complete the work that he has begun in each of us, in Jesus Christ. That God's not going to abandon the work. He's not going to forget about the work he's done. He's going to complete the work. And this idea of first fruits, 
of we are God's first fruits is saying it's not just about your individual comfort. This is actually about what I'm doing to bring the whole world to know me. Take hope. I am still at work. And then we get this other word, hold fast. Paul's response to all of this, saying you are loved by God, you are sandwiched by God's love, and reminding us that we are the first fruits, that God's still at work in the world, his response is, because of all of that, stand firm in your faith. In fact, hold fast to. The Greek word is probably better translated as seize hold of. It's often used with a, a military that's trying to arrest somebody or somebody in authority trying to arrest others. Arrest your faith. Take hold of it. Grab hold of it. Don't let it go. Make it secure. Grab hold of that faith and hold on to it. I love that we are actually called to do something here. It's not do something to earn God's love. That's already being given to us. It's not doing something to make sure that our future is secure for us. God's already making sure the future is secure for us. It's grab hold of our faith. Grab hold of the substance of that faith. Just for a moment, imagine you're eating a big sandwich. Grab hold of it with two hands, right? Go ahead. Go ahead. This is a day to feel awkward in church. Move your bodies. Go ahead. And you take a big bite. We're going to practice miming this, right? Yep. All right. All right. Hey, I got to have a couple boys demonstrate for us. Come on. You too. Right up front. Yep. Come on. Stand up front so everybody can see you because you're doing this well. See, I was starting like this for my sandwich because that's where it is. All right, you guys show us. How do you eat the big sandwich? All right? Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. See, I started here. They got the faith way out here. This is their faith right? It's like eating one of those cartoon hoagies that are, are 12 feet long and they, those cartoon characters just dive into it. That's what Paul's saying. Dive into your faith. Eat up your faith. Take hold of your faith. Live into it. Don't do it kind of half-heartedly or timidly. Remember, God loves you. Remember, you're the first fruits of what God is doing. He's got so much more planned. Dive into your faith. Grab hold of it. Give your faith a bear hug. All right? Not be passive. Not be sitting in the pew timidly going, yeah, I don't know about this stuff. Robustly live into our faith. Make it part of our, our waking and our sleeping. Let it shape the hours of our days. Let it shape our conversations. Let it, let it fill our hearts and our mouths until the way we speak with our neighbors overflows with the good news of a God who loves us and a God who is still at work in this world even though it looks like the world's messed up, that God has not forgotten about us or abandoned us, but that God is making all things new even now, even today, even in us. Live into that robust faith of being a people who are loved by God. And watch how the world changes around us. Watch how the people around us change because we seize that faith and we bite into the fullness of the gospel message that we really and truly at the core of our beings are loved by the God who created everything. 
And that God did not stop at anything but sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, to make us whole and holy, and whose spirit dwells with us even now. Seize our faith. The last word, encouragement. Our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father who has given us eternal encouragement. It's already done. He's already given us the eternal encouragement. Paul's saying to a people who are questioning if they're ever going to see eternity with Christ, God's already given it to you. Don't worry. That encouragement is there. You are already guaranteed heaven. You are already guaranteed eternal life with God. You are already guaranteed to live in God's presence. Take that encouragement. Remember that. Let that shape you. That can never be taken away, as Paul says in Romans 8, right? Not afraid of the past, the future, not afraid of the present, not afraid of height or depth or anything in all of creation because we can never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to remember that again and again and again. That eternal encouragement has already been given to us. But then Paul doubles down on that word encourage. Read those last few verses, that last little bit. Verse 17. This is talking about what God may do for us, that he may encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Encourage your hearts. I want to encourage my mind quite a bit, don't I? <laughs> I mean, I've gone through academic training. I, I want to keep going in academic training. People ask me, when are you getting your second doctorate? And I usually say, as soon as the first one's paid off. I love learning. But Paul says, may the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father encourage your hearts place where our fears reside, the place where our doubts tend to take root, the place where we feel love and where we give love. And Paul knows this isn't a knowledge issue about salvation. Paul knows this is an experiential issue about whether or not we really believe that the God of the whole universe can love us. And Paul speaks to our hearts May God encourage your hearts. May God reach into your hearts and encourage your hearts so that out of the overflow of your hearts, every deed you do, every word you say may be full of goodness. Agathos, the goodness of God. May it overflow with goodness in deed and in word so that our whole life fills with this sense of what God is doing in our hearts, that he is speaking to us and encouraging us and reminding us that we are loved by him. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are loved by God. And he, he who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, not only along with Jesus Christ, fail to give us every good thing that we need? Let's pray.